Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man whose late-night, too-many-beers cyber shopping is really starting to become a problem. He is the captain. Well, your smell is starting to become a problem. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Tonight, we are drinking Country Roots by Tennessee Brew Works, garage-grade four out of five bottle caps. Tennessee Brew Works loves working with local farmers, and that is just one of many reasons to love drinking their beers. This is a silky smooth stout with hints of coffee and dark chocolate with roasty, toasty notes. Country Roots was brought to us by these silky smooth beer buddies. First up, we have Neftali in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Zoom tight. A big We Like Your Jib to Brandon in Grand Junction, Colorado. And also a shout out and a thank you to Pax in Virginia. And we also have April in Roanoke, Virginia. And hailing from parts unknown, we have Mary, Laura, and Lori. Mary, your water bill is due. And last but not least, we have Jenny, a Canadian living in Charlotte, North Carolina. Jenny says, guys, get out of the garage and come sit on the porch. So for today's show, we'll do it from the porch. Thanks for the beer fun money. And like always, we like your cheese. And if you love the show, make sure you tell your friends and leave a five-star review on iTunes. That's enough of the business. Everybody gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. search for a young woman gone missing. The Tennessee Sheriff's Association has added $5,000 to the reward fund for Holly Bobo. 
the 20-year-old nursing student who reportedly was abducted from her home a week ago today. It brings the reward total to $80,000. Investigators say the abductor is likely a local figure. No suspect yet, though. The small town of Parsons, meanwhile, is hoping, praying that any minute now, Holly will be found safe. What we're going to do, we're going to go ahead and divide up into groups. Time is of the essence. Every hour that passes is crucial. Any tip could be the key. Y'all go ahead and spread out. That's why authorities are turning to the public in the disappearance of Holly Bobo, a beautiful 20-year-old nursing student who hasn't been seen in a week. Just before 8 o'clock last Wednesday morning, Holly's 25-year-old brother, Clint, told police he watched from inside the family home as a man in camouflage led Holly into the woods. At first, Clint thought she was going off with a friend. But when he went outside, he found blood in the driveway and immediately called 911. The police went into high gear, searching for the man in camouflage. We feel that she knew that she was in fear of her life, so she was complying with his command. The family begged for help. Holly, I love you so much. <laughs> please, please try to get home to us. And if anybody knows anything about her, please, please help us find her. The close-knit community rallied. Hundreds volunteered to comb the woods for clues. That's the last phone call you ever expect to get. And it's a close family, so we're just trying to hold it together. Until now, the town of Parsons' main claim to fame was country music singer Whitney Duncan. She's Holly Bobo's cousin. She thinks of her as a little sister. She's beautiful, kind of shy, quiet girl until you get to know her. And then she's just funny and sweet and uh, she's amazing. And Whitney's also had to defend Holly's brother Clint. Bloggers and tweeters immediately began to question his story. And tweets like this one appeared. I think the authorities should focus more on Holly Bobo's brother, Clint. Very strange, contradicting story. Whitney Duncan fired back with a tweet of her own, writing, My cousin Clint, Holly's brother, is not a suspect, and I'm sick of people saying that he is. He's been cleared for good reason. Shut up. Investigators say they're not following any individual suspect, but have not ruled anyone out. In the meantime, the days are ticking by. This is where our virtual command center is. It's a way to organize the information that's coming in to us and a way to disperse that information out to investigators. So right here, tips are coming in, right. and she's just verifying that everything's been followed up on. Right. They've received more than 250 tips from all across the state. They're constantly checking the map, trying to connect the dots. So far, investigators have found several items, including Holly's lunch bag, which her family was able to identify. We've really been concentrating from Holly's house north up to I-40. And just so we have a little scale here, from here to where the lunchbox was found, we're talking about a distance of about eight miles? Yes. How long can you sustain such a massive search? When those leads stop coming in and you stop having things to follow up, follow up on, then that's when you may begin to scale back. It has now been a week since Holly was last seen. If someone is not discovered within the first day or two, it's unlikely that it'll be discovered alive. When children are abducted, criminologist James Fox says the abductor is most likely someone a child knows. Perhaps not so in this case. When it's an adult who's abducted, it's usually a stranger. It's oftentimes a sex crime, and murder is used as a way to cover up the evidence of that crime. But still, there is hope 
that occasionally cases like these do end up with good news even after a long period of time. Does it kind of feel like you're looking for a needle in a haystack? Yes, ma'am. Volunteers were not deterred by that challenge. One group found this duct tape that they say had hair stuck to it. Uh, sure hope everybody brings her back. Wishing hug her mama. There were so many volunteers at one point, well, dozens had to be turned away. They had 2,000 volunteers sign in at the state fairgrounds, and then they had another about 1,500 show up. And we're talking about a community of about 2,500 people. Right. Have you ever experienced something like this in all the investigations, the community being so helpful? No, never. Never seen a community like this. When someone goes missing in a town of just 2,500, the whole town becomes one family. Hundreds of pink ribbons now dot the streets, signs of support and love on every billboard. A community with one common goal, finding Holly. First off, early this week, we, this great country and its good people, suffered another senseless act of horrible violence. I'm not sure I nor anyone understands this stuff. It's, of course, shocking and sad. I pray that the shooting that took place in Las Vegas is the very last one we ever have to suffer through. And our hearts and prayers go out to the victims, their families, friends, loved ones, and the community and first responders as well. Now, for this week's case, we're discussing Holly Bobo. Holly Lynn Bobo was born October 12th, 1990. Her parents are Dana and Karen Bobo. She has a brother, Clint. Uh, in 2011, Holly is 20 years old. She is a nursing student in the LPN program at Tennessee Technology Center. She's living with her parents, Dana and Karen, and her brother, then 25-year-old Clint, in Parsons, Tennessee, This is very much small town America. The population is like 2,400 people back in 2011. Her friends described Holly as funny, shy, and sweet. On Wednesday, April 13th, 2011, Holly woke up at 4.30 a.m. to study for an exam that she had to take that morning. She she does spend some time trading text with her friend Hannah. Uh, She's also a student as well, Mm -hmm. going to the same program. Now, Holly's father, Dana, he's one of these early morning dudes. He works an early shift. Uh, He typically gets up and leaves the house about 5.30 a.m. each morning. Holly's mother, Karen, is a teacher, and she leaves the house on a typical day. She would leave around 7 a.m. So I'm, I'm assuming that this is the case on this day as well. Now, at 7.30 a.m., Holly gets a phone call from her boyfriend. His name is Drew Scott. Drew is turkey hunting somewhat nearby on Holly's grandmother's property. Drew tells Holly that while he was out there hunting, someone had dropped by and questioned him about being on the property. Now, Drew had permission to be on the property hunting, so he decided he would call Holly, you know, just to confirm that it's cool that he's out there, that sort of thing. At 7.42 a.m., Holly makes another phone call. Now, Clint is still sleeping at this time. But just a few minutes before 8 a.m., Clint, he's awakened by the family dog. Dog's barking at something. Mm -hmm. This is a small dog named Champ. Clint, knowing that the dog barks when someone pulls their car up to the house, assumed that someone was outside. 
He goes over to the window and he looks out. There's no vehicle that had pulled up. He looks out another window. Now, the, the Bobos have a carport attached to the house. So Clint sees his sister Holly's car still near the carport. He hears some voices, but he's not sure who it is. The sound of the voices draws his eyes to uh, the silhouette of two people that appear to be kneeling down outside. From the way that Clint describes this, it sounds like he, w- he would not have been able to see the people themselves due to the angle of his view from the window in relation to where the two people are positioned. Mm-hmm. However, he had a good idea of who it, who it is outside. He can't hear what the voices are saying, but it sounds like a girl and a guy talking to one another. His sister's car, again, still outside, so it must be his sister Holly and her boyfriend Drew. He says that the man's voice sounds either angered or agitated, and the woman's voice, his sister's voice, sounds upset. Clint says the man was doing most of the talking at this time. Now, Clint called his mother by this point. You know, he's thinking Holly and Drew are arguing and possibly breaking up. Mm -hmm. Uh, His mother does not answer her phone. He then texts her uh, for for her to call him back. She calls back rather quickly. Clint asks why Holly is not at school. His mother, Karen, says, what do you mean? She has a test today. She should be at school. No, he replies, Holly is outside with Drew. Karen tells Clint that that is not Drew outside with her and that he should call 911 and then call the neighbors. Mm -hmm. Clint hangs up the phone. He looks outside again, this time through a different window, and he can see two people. Uh, one appears to be his sister wearing a pink t-shirt and the other is a man wearing camouflage. They are standing or walking toward a tree line all the way across the yard. Beyond this tree line is a wooded area. Now the two people are a good distance from Clint, but he says by now from, from what his mother had told him on the phone and the size of the guy that he sees with his sister He's starting to think that that is not her boyfriend. At 7.55 a.m., Clint Bobo calls his sister's phone and gets the voicemail. He also calls her boyfriend's phone and gets the voicemail as well. His mother calls the house again. By now, it's 8 o'clock. He tells her what he saw, the man in camo or Drew and Holly walking into the woods. His mother says, oh, my God, that's not Drew. Get a gun and shoot whoever that is. She instructs him to get a gun and go outside and shoot whoever that guy is with his sister. Yeah. Clint says, you want me to shoot Drew? He's still, you know, now mind you, Clint just woke up minutes ago. Mm. He is still wearing whatever he wore to bed. So he throws on some clothes, grabs a gun and his cell phone, and he goes outside. First, he goes over to where he thought the two were kneeling down and talking. There he sees what he describes as many drops of blood or a pool of blood. This is somewhat near Holly's car. Then he runs down to the tree line where he had seen what he thought to be his sister and the man in camo going into the woods. There, once he's there, he sees nothing, no one. He hears nothing, no one. Clint is only there for a short while, maybe a minute or two, When he hears the sound of an approaching vehicle, he turns to see a white pickup truck coming up the driveway to his house. He runs out front. It's his neighbor, Kathy. 
She says, what's going on down here? My son heard a scream coming from your house. Clint, with his cell phone still in hand, he, he then calls 911. He tells them he thinks someone has taken his sister. Now, he's not on the phone very long when he hears a police car pulling in. See, what happened here, Clint's mother, remember, she she's at work, but right. she, she had actually already called 911 to report that something was going on at her home before she called Clint the sec- second time. Right. Um, a little before 10 a.m., the first deputy uh, from Decanter County arrives at the house. They look for Holly, but they can't find her. Uh, after ob- ob- observing the scene, authorities come to believe that Holly Bobo was abducted as she tried to get in her car to drive to nursing school. So actually, some of this goes down before Clint says he woke up uh, to the sound of the family dog barking. So at 7.40 a.m., a close neighbor, this is uh, Kathy uh, of the Bobos, uh, her son walked out of, of his home to go to his construction job. He He's the one that hears the scream coming from the Bobo's house. He tells his mother about it, and then he leaves to go to work. So the neighbor's mother, Kathy, she called Karen Bobo at work and tells uh, the school secretary to relay a message about the scream. This is also the time that Holly Bob- Bobo would usually leave for school to arrive uh, about 7.55 a.m. The, the school was rather close. So we're lucky here, Captain, in this situation because a lot of times when we discuss an abduction, there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of you know time windows where things could have happened and we're not really sure a lot of questions. Um, this situation, we're lucky that there are eyewitnesses. Um, and so that timeline of events on, on of the morning of April 13th, 2011, was compiled on the basis of witness statements and phone records. Right. And we have a pretty short window of time there. So really we're only left with two questions, you know, uh, where is Holly and who was the man that was seen with her, uh, that was taking her into the woods. So the search for Holly Bobo began that morning on April 13th, 2011, as soon as the authorities arrived, then we have hundreds of searchers, comb the woods and fields in decanter and Henderson counties that day on foot and with all terrain vehicles and on horseback as well. Um, remember we said this was a small, you know, small town, America, 2,400 people. Um, I, this is not small town. It's, it's dinky. Yeah. And I believe that there were reports that like they had like a thousand searchers. Um, you know, most of them being volunteers. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's practically half your population out there, uh, helping you look for this young woman. Uh, they were also searching for the man, obviously that was spotted with, uh, by Clint, uh, Clint Bobo described the man as being between five foot 10 and six foot tall and between 180 to 200 pounds. Uh, he says he was wearing a hat and camouflage clothing from head to toe. Yeah. He identified the pattern as either mossy oak or leafy wear. Um, he had, <laughs> I, I'm glad somebody, I'm glad he was able to describe that because if somebody asked me what kind of camo somebody's wearing, I would have been like green. Mm-hmm. Um, he said that the, the man had dark hair sticking out from under his cap, uh, that was long enough to cover his neck and touch his collar. Uh, he did describe the male's voice that he heard as very deep and a very low voice. Mm. The mm-hmm. 
the search area widened uh, each each following day. They spent a lot of time searching near the Bobo's home and then north of there because it was quickly learned by police that at 8.17 a.m., so just minutes after her abduction, Holly's cell phone pings. It shows that her cell phone was moving away from her home tower heading north. Right. Now we have uh, John Graves. He's a construction worker. He assisted in the search for Holly Bobo by taking his four-wheeler and searching the woods, uh, some sheds and barns. Uh, The day after Holly went missing, he made it to a creek and he noticed something. Graves found a a polka dot lunchbox with an embroidered H on it. Okay. Uh, Graves said that he fished the lunchbox out of the creek and he made phone calls, you know, stating, you may have to get someone out here. This might be something. And this actually turns out to be Holly's lunchbox. So the search efforts on April 15th were centered on that area where the authorities found the lunchbox. It was found on uh, Bible Hill Road or in the Bible Hill Road area. This is about six or seven miles from Holly's home. The next day on April 16th, volunteers looked through wooded areas near Bible Hill, Yellow Springs, and near Horny Head Creek. Mm. Horny Head Creek. Anyway. Let's yeah. let's move on. <laughs> Who named that street? Uh, hoping to find school supplies or items that may have come from Holly's purse. Mm-hmm. Nothing was found. Um, two days after uh, her lunchbox was found, a TBI spokeswoman, that's the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, said investigators had already received and were following more than 250 leads. Volunteers searched wooded areas, including uh, a state park that was nearby, as well as Henderson County. Law enforcement officers were going door to door, talking to people near the Bobo's home. Mm. At this point, were they able to rule out her boyfriend? Um, yeah, that that is that is certainly one one question that we have right away. You know, who is the man with Holly? Mm-hmm. Uh, was it the boyfriend? We said that uh, Clint thought that the voice sounded to be uh drew scott the boyfriend right um i think that um after further talking to clint uh the authorities very quickly realized that that was just an assumption that he made he didn't base that off of anything he did he actually didn't base it off of the sound of the the man's voice he did he didn't think it sounded like drew uh he didn't think the guy that he saw looked like drew uh, he just made that assumption because he heard it was a, a man's voice. And he said that, you know, Holly, other than her, her, her father, Clint himself and a cousin mm-hmm. didn't really have any guy friends. She didn't interact with a bunch of guys. So, you know, hearing a man's voice talking to Holly at their home, he would just naturally assume that it would be her boyfriend. Yeah. And the only one that claims that they saw this man or heard this man was the brother. Mm-hmm. So there'd have to be some questioning there. Yeah. And we're talking about a small window of time that she would have been taken. Um, you know, the, the first scream is reported to be at seven forty, seven forty two AM. And then by eight o'clock, um, she's seen by her brother going into the woods the thing with Drew Scott with her boyfriend is we said he was out hunting. You know, he's turkey hunting, so you would assume he's wearing some kind of camo. Uh, he's nearby. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, he would know where Holly would be. So these things don't look good for him. However, he his phone records were checked, and and he called Holly just like he had said he did to to confirm that he was allowed to be on the property. He was seen by this person at the property around you know just minutes before she was taken, and then he he was hunting before going to work that day. So he would later report to work at his normal time. So he doesn't really seem to have the opportunity uh, to do so. So we have uh, talking about the, the search, we have the Tennessee wildlife uh, resource agency. Go ahead. We haven't really discussed the brother. Uh, We'll get to the brother. Um, We have the Tennessee wildlife resource agency offered a site imaging technology so investigators could scan the bottoms of nearby lakes. So we can see that, I mean, every effort is being made here to locate this young woman very quickly after she's abducted. Then on April 20th, uh, prayer vigils are head and held, and they are, by this point, it's nine days later, and there's been no sign of Holly since she went missing. The reward for information leading to the whereabouts of Holly Bobo or an arrest of her possible abductor quickly grew as a part to push to produce a breakthrough in the investigation that has by this time produced 280 leads, but not named a single suspect. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Tennessee Bureau of Investigation uh, Director Mark Gwynn said that there's no person of interest in this case. And adding, there's a family out there that needs closure, and it's up to us to give it to them. We will let the investigation go where the leads take us. It may be in-state, it may be out-of-state, but no matter where it is, we're going to follow that lead. So that means that this very, very early into the search and the investigative efforts, there was $75,000 reward being offered for details that might lead to a break in the case. State law enforcement agencies urged people, this is kind of a public cry for help, uh, to take notice of anyone whose whereabouts were unaccounted for on that morning when Holly went missing, and changes in behavior since the incident, saying it's possible the suspect missed work or appointments that day or the day or two after unexpectedly. He may also have excessively cleaned a car or ATV or suddenly sold a vehicle or possibly cuts or bruises. Correct. The, su- the suspect may be showing signs of anxiety or stress. Um, someone could have taken a car or all-terrain vehicle into the woods near Holly's secluded home. That was one thing that they w- had suspected. Uh, the type of terrain and nature of this community leads investigators to believe that the person responsible is from the area. Um, but we have uh Bobo's brother, the lone witness, was unable to get a solid description of the man. Now, by this time, authorities have backed away from their assertion that Holly was dragged, um, but they do believe, they don't believe that she went willingly. Um, They don't think she was dragged into the woods, but this person was able to control her somehow and force her to come with him, Um, saying that they said that we feel she was in fear for her life, so she was compliant with her abductor's demands. As the extensive searches of the area continued, um, it started to provide the findings of several items belonging to Holly. Uh, they were found scattered throughout the area. Now, we mentioned the lo- the lunchbox that was found. 
but also found was a receipt with her name on it, a card from her school, uh, her cell phone, and the SIM card, which had been removed from the cell phone, had been found. Now, we would later learn that at 9.25 a.m. on the day that she disappeared, this was the last cell phone ping that came from Holly's phone. Uh, the, the phone last pinged in the area where her phone was ultimately found and the SIM card found as well. Now we said that they were searching near the Bobo's home and North of that, you know, they were kind of searching everywhere, but they were focusing on that area because they could see her phone moving from that in that direction. Now, Captain, you had mentioned the brother, Clint Bobo. Mm -hmm. Now, shortly after Holly's disappearance, just within days, this case started to receive national attention. And after that took place, well, we start to get a suspect in the public's eyes. And it being one very close to Holly, the only witness of that day, Clint Bobo himself. We'll get into that more after this quick beer break. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com slash garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer 
or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors, no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we're back. Yeah, cheers. So we have our first suspect, Captain. If if we got the boyfriend, Drew, who's cleared in this thing, now we have our first suspect in the disappearance of Holly Bobo, and it's her brother, Clint. And why is he a suspect? Because there's some question marks in his story. He's the lone witness to this whole thing, and yet we have question marks within his story. And it almost makes it seem like it's not a believable story. Mm-hmm. Because, okay, so let's walk through this situation. You're 25 years old. You wake up and you hear who you believe to be your sister outside. And your first thought is, well, I'll call my mom and ask her if Holly had to go to school today or why she's not at school today. Yeah, that doesn't make 
any sense. No. Open up the door to the house and go, hey, Holly, why are you not at school today? Right. Um, that I think, I think if you put 100 people in a room, that's what 99 of them are going to do. Yeah. Um, so and that, the other person would just be, you know. The other person would, would be. in their armpits. Would or, be asked to leave the room. window, yeah. <laughs> uh, so we have that question mark there. And then on top of that, once he's communicated with his mother and she says, hey, that's not Drew out there. Mm-hmm. Go out there and shoot whoever this is. He, do- <laughs> but, but but even that part of the story doesn't sound believable at all. To you know, I'm going to call my mom to see why my sister's not at school. Yeah, and her first response is, "That's not Drew. Shoot him." Yeah. Well, she, by this point, she, in fairness, by this point, she's told him to call nine one one and then call the neighbors. Right. Um. Right, but but if you hear his side of the story you're missing one key piece of evidence and that is the neighbor already calling the mother. Right. Saying we heard a scream. Right. So but, she she knows more than what Clint does who's at home. Right. But don't you I still think that you know inst- maybe go out and find out who it is. Mhm. Let's not jump to this idea of let's just shoot this person. Right. Like that that seems a little far-fetched but who again who knows what, you know, there's probably little details of the conversation that they're missing in the reports. Yeah, and, I, and I'll back up Clint on that because I, I have to believe that if you're on the phone with your mom and you've just woke up mm-hmm. uh, and she tells you to go outside and shoot somebody, you're probably very confused as to what situation you just woke up at. I'd uh, probably think this is my opportunity. <laughs> Finally, I get a, I get to shoot out somebody's kneecaps. There's been a break in my life, and here here it goes. But the thing here is, uh, okay, so we have the question mark of why wouldn't he just open up the door and call out to his sister if he thought, you know, if he wondered why she was still at home. Right. So that's a question mark. Then we have the next thing of once he's told by his mother to go outside and shoot whoever that is, he's like, well, sure, uh, but... But first, I'm going to put on some clothes. Um, you know, I see, I've see i seen her going into the woods with some strange guy that I, I can't identify. Right. He's, he's dressed in camo. Now, he doesn't see a weapon. He doesn't see that this man has any type of weapon. But his first thought is, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get dressed, and then I'll go outside and, yeah. and look into the situation. But everybody's different. You know, and it's like um, if it's late at night... And I hear something, you know, coming from the basement or mm-hmm. from the front porch area. Um, my thought process has always been, let me run as fast as I can to- towards the noise. Right. And and hopefully uh, that gives me an advantage. And, but it's different, too, because they're, they're on a little bit of land. Yeah. And when you're on a little bit of land, your, your mindset changes a lot for example i was only on about two acres but my whole house was or my whole cabin was surrounded by a farmland mm-hmm. and i was on my my deck one night and there was these bridges that you'd have to pass over this creek mm-hmm. so i hear what sounds like some somebody walking you know some footsteps some leaves that wasn't that scary but you know, but the thing is, is why are they out there super late at night? 
Why are they on my property? And I didn't start getting freaked out till I actually heard the steps coming over my bridge. Oh. Now, I am not fully... Heck, I might not have even had any pants on. I'm not really for sure. But you have to make a decision right then. You know, am I going to try to wait for this person to come into the light? What am I going to do? So me being dumb, I jump off my, my deck and start chasing the, whoever this was. Right. And I hear them running back across the bridge. Uh, and then they got up to the, the property line and they jumped this little uh, metal fence that they, we had. But uh, I still don't know why they were back there. It could have just been a kid messing around. And you don't know who it was. Have no clue. But what I'm saying is, you know, if you if you know that there's a confrontation and your mother is telling you just to shoot him again, that's jumping a couple steps. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess again, and we're missing details of the reports. I mean, he might ask her, "Well, why?" You know, uh, and when he says, "Well, I stopped to get dressed," it could have been as simple as I stopped to get shoes on or or mm-hmm. something. So, you know, but I think it's one of those things where it's like you don't want to question uh, the brother of the girl that's missing. Right. But at the same time, there's a lot of things that lead themselves to go, this doesn't add up. This doesn't make a lot of sense. And so again, him getting dressed, is that him getting fully dressed or is that him just putting on shoes, you know, Mm -hmm. or, or let me change my pants real quick or, or maybe didn't even have any pants on to begin with. And maybe that would be another reason why he didn't just open up the door, you know, in his underwear and went, hey, what's going on? Right. So uh, who knows? Well, when I say he becomes a suspect, I have to believe that that's more in the eyes of the public, you know, in social media type situation. Because when people look at this case, like we said, it got national attention and then they hear his story. Of course, those there are those question marks. Um, well, and this is a very small town, like you said before. I mean, it's not even 3,000 people. Everybody knows everybody. So I think, you know, as far as law enforcement goes, they probably weren't looking at the brother right away because people would have known his character. Mm-hmm. And so I think you know his character, uh, you know his relationship with his family, plus his, you know, there's nothing out of the ordinary for them. But I think, you know, that's the one bad thing, I think, of the true crime community sometimes mm-hmm. is that uh, we put shades on things. We put shades on people that maybe shouldn't have been there, but we're looking, you know, from so far away. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the family, the Bobo family had Clint's back. They, you know, they were outwardly saying he's not a suspect. Uh, in fact, one of the family members tweeted the following in response to those accusations uh, saying Holly's brother is not a suspect. I'm sick of people saying that he is. He has been cleared for good reason. Shut up. Um, Oh, that was the cousin, right? Yeah. And I think I'm fine with that statement um, because you have, (laughs) well, because you have this situation. Shut up. And and you got to think about it like this. Are there question marks in his story? Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, But let's let's break it down like this. His mother left the home at 7 a.m. Mm-hmm. At 7 a.m., Holly was fine and doing everything she was supposed to be doing. He's asleep. And then at 8.10, an hour and 10 minutes later, the police are on the scene. Five minutes before that, the neighbor is there. So now we only have a window of an hour and 
possibly five minutes right. that he would have done something to his sister and then been able to put her in a place where nobody could find her and then return to the scene and, and be there as the police arrive and people start searching the area yeah, and hundreds of people start searching the area um, and but it, right, but it's not ludicrous to think that because it's I mean, not imp- obviously he has access to you know the surroundings and he knows the surroundings better than most people, so it's not ludicrous. You know? It's it's not impossible, right. but it, but it's but I mean when you when you really think about that small window of time, and then on top of that, you are able to review his his phone records because mm-hmm. here's where his story makes sense. The story makes sense because he's saying. This happened, so this was my reaction, and it was a phone call or a text. Right. Then this happened, and this was my reaction. It was another phone call or another text. So you can almost you can't you can't verify of those events that happened, but you can verify his reaction being exactly what he said. You could also look into his cell phone pings as right. well. Um, and now we said that the investigators were going door to door. One thing that they were doing very quickly in this investigation was selling Girl Scout cookies when, yeah, when they're going door to door, they are checking on local and known sex offenders. Right. So early in the investigation, the TBI focused heavily. This is our other suspect that we're going to talk about, uh, a person named Terry Britt, uh, because he fit the vague description given by Clint of the man who, who had abducted Holly. Yeah. He's big into wearing camo. Terry Britt it was a known sex offender. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had been convicted of rape on three separate occasions. He was at the t- he was serving time in prison. Uh, I'm sorry. As of today, he's serving time in prison for the 2008 kidnapping and attempted rape of another woman. Uh, he also had a history of stalking blonde women. Holly Bobo was a blonde 20 year old woman. Uh, he was interviewed by the TBI. He had an alibi, but Britt told investigators that his wife stayed home from work that morning to help him install a bathtub. Mm-hmm. During the investigation, TBI investigator Terry Dykus, not to be confused with Terry Dickus. Yeah, two separate people. Uh, he discovered that uh, Britt's wife, uh, her name is Janet, mm-hmm. that she had in fact gone to work that morning. Okay, so we have Terry saying that his wife had stayed home with him all morning. And then when they look into it, Janet had in fact gone to work. Right. But Terry had called her work and asked her to leave. So she does come home at some point, leaves early for the day. But Terry, the investigator, he's wondering, you know, what kind of coincidence is this where we have on the biggest news day, on the day that Holly Bobo goes missing, the biggest news day in this county, this known sex offender calls his wife and asks her to leave work early. Right. Like, this is a weird coincidence. And the the strange thing here, according to the investigator Terry Dykus, uh, Britt's wife, Terry Britt's wife, had been with him on previous occasions where they believed Terry was stalking girls. So... So she was into it. Something like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, now Terry, I guess there's, I guess there's somebody for everybody, right? Uh, maybe. 
Um, but Terry sticks to his story that they were installing a bathtub at their home that, that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's his alibi. That's her alibi. Now, the Brit- show me your cock. The Brits did produce a handwritten receipt for the bathtub. Uh, the investigators went to the store. The store apparently had no record of the sale. Uh, so this looks very, very strange. The other thing, too, is very shortly after Holly's abduction, Terry Britt uh, had cut his hair, you know, maybe trying to disguise himself. We talked about those warnings and the the uh, the asking the public for help earlier. Right. Um, they recorded his voice. They played his voice for Clint Bobo, mm-hmm. who also identified the voice sample as being very similar to the voice that he had heard that morning. Right. So they're really focusing in on this Terry Britt guy. Um, and they, what they ultimately end up doing is they wiretapped his home um, and they searched his home and the search turned up nothing. And as far as the wiretap goes, um, they were never able to produce anything from that wiretap. They didn't record anything from that wiretap that would implicate that he did this crime. So they cleared him. No, they didn't clear him, but they, they had nothing to, to suggest that their, their hunch was right. Now the search efforts remained mostly quiet for about two years following the disappearance. Uh, but the search publicly ramped up again in April of 2013 when TBI agents found a purse um, we mentioned the items found earlier. However, Holly's purse was not one of those items. Right. A neighbor of the Bobos said that his dog brought home a muddy pink purse. Uh, this was turned over to TBI. And then the following day on April 19th, Karen Bobo, Holly's mother, she sees the purse in person and then confirms that it is not Holly's purse. But the case would not remain quiet for long because even though the purse found was not Holly's, less than a year later, this case is going to catch some heat again. Because on February 28, 2014, the TBI executed a search warrant at the home of a man named Zachary Adams in Halliday, uh, Tennessee. This is about 15 minutes from the Bobo's home. Uh, TBI says that it's too early at this point to name any suspects. Um, they stated that, uh, was there like a reason why they had a hunch about this guy? I I'm unclear why they decided to could could just have been a called in tip. Possibly. You Mm -hmm. know, we said there are close to 300 tips at the early in the investigation. Two years later, I can only imagine how many, um, uh, tips they had received. Now a person that was interviewed, her name is Hallie Horner. Uh, she said that she went to school with, with Clint Bobo And she told the Jackson Sun newspaper that she was part of a volunteer search group that had previously searched the woods in front of Adam's home shortly after Holly's disappearance. Mm -hmm. But she did state that they had never searched Adam's property itself. Then on March 5th, 2014, the TBI holds a news conference about the Holly Bobo case and announces that Adams, Zach Adams, has been indicted on charges of aggravated kidnapping and felony first-degree murder. But it's not going to cool down yet, Captain, because in April of uh, that same year, April 29th... Well, let's just go back for a second, because so he's going to be indicted on murder charges, but we don't have a body. We have no body. So which makes it always tougher 
And and to top that off, they're charging him, but they're not publicly stating why they're charging him. Right. Like they're not saying we found this evidence at his home. Right. We found this on his property and this is why we're charging him. So everybody's kind of a little bit clueless as to this this suspect, Zachary Adams, and why they are charging him. But in another news conference, this is April 29th, 2014. The TBI holds another news conference and announces that Jason Autry has been indicted on charges of aggravated kidnapping and felony first-degree murder. So now we have, this is the situation. We have Terry Britt, the known sex offender. His home was searched. They set up a wiretap. They don't bring any charges against Terry Britt. No evidence. Right. Then we have a search that's executed on Zachary Adams' home. And then shortly after that, with no explanation, he's arrested and charged with felony first-degree murder, and then a man that he knows, Jason Altry, is later arrested and charged with the same with the same charges, kidnapping and first-degree murder. Right. But it's going to get even more strange, Captain, because on May 29th, there are two brothers. This is Jeffrey and Mark Percy. Um, they're arrested, and they're charged with tampering of evidence and accessory after the fact. Okay. So the TBI investigators believe that these two brothers have knowledge of a video containing images of Holly Bobo alive after her kidnapping. The investigators said that they believe that Mark Percy and Jeffrey Percy know the location of this video, which showed Bobo tied up and crying. I mean, these these people are just animals, you know? Well, at this point, these are charges. We, we, we don't know what they're guilty of, and again, they're not producing any evidence but if they're guilty of this they're they're animals oh of, of course um some some of the worst kind um there were reports at this time that more indictments were likely um they say that there are they are actively looking at bringing charges against additional individuals in the holly bobo case stating that that won't necessarily be murder charges but there's enough out there uh one of those people who might be charged is a man by the name of Shane Austin. He's 29 years old. Now, at this point in the How case... How many people were involved? I mean, it just seems like it just keeps going. Well, that's what's crazy about this thing. At this point, Austin had not been charged, but the, but he is interesting because he, he had a signed agreement with law enforcement. This granted um, Austin immunity from criminal charges in exchange for his cooperation in the Holly Bobo investigation. But investigators say that Austin has not been honest in giving information, so he's not been complete, completely truthful and not completely forthcoming. Well, and then that should take immunity off the table. Right. That's why they they were hoping to get some charges against him. Now, it's like we said, it's it, initially it's unclear what led law enforcement to suspect these men. But the investigation turns... Well, and to be fair to law enforcement, I mean, they can't tell everybody everything right because you know that could ruin their case in court and the the most important thing is finding the individuals that are guilty of this and getting them locked up uh for life mm -hmm. you know and and sometimes by leaking that information that could you know uh, hinder the the prosecution well and you said how many people are involved in this thing how many people are they going to charge well there's another man that we have to talk about because while it's why it's unclear how they got onto these suspects or suspected these men, it turns out that the investigation began with the arrest of Dylan Adams. Dylan Adams is Zachary Adams' brother. 
Dylan was arrested on unrelated weapons charges. Okay. Now, following this arrest, he told police that he witnessed Holly Bobo alive with his brother, Zach, at Zach's home following her abduction. In an affidavit for a search warrant, it, it stated that Dylan told authorities that on April 13th, 2011, he went to Zach's residence to pick up his truck. While he was there, Dylan said that he had observed Holly Bobo sitting in a green chair in the living room wearing a pink t-shirt. There was Jason Autry, who was also there, standing just a few feet away. He also told police that Zach was wearing camouflage shorts, a black t-shirt with the sleeves cut off, and a pair of green Crocs, you know, the, the funky shoes. Yeah. Um, the guy sounds like a real winner. Dylan also reported that Zach had told him that uh, Zach had raped uh, Holly and videotaped it. All right. So why didn't this guy do anything about it then? Well, the um, Zach and Dylan's, Dylan's family and others that were charged in this case, um, they were saying that the, the arrests that were made were made on the basis of this confession. Right. But there, and, and we have seen from time to time those confessions against other people to be completely false. So, but yeah. it doesn't seem like the detectives were interrogating him. It seems like he was just kind of forthcoming with this information once they were arrested on these weapon charges. The um, regarding this confession, let's get into uh, we'll get into this Adams family a little bit. Um, everybody's snapping their fingers now. Uh, but the thing here is da, 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 don't. The family is stating that, you know, the arrests are, are made on the basis of this confession, but this is a confession by a mentally disabled man, this being Dylan Adams. Um, and okay, how, why is there always confessions by the mentally disabled right? I, or the mentally impaired? I don't know. It's just, I don't know how that works its way. Again, like we were talking about we cover. when we when we write our true crime novel. That's going to have to be a part of the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's going to be the cornerstone of the novel. The cornerstone of the investigation. Well, so who is this Zach Adams dude? Because with him being the first arrest, it almost appears like he's some kind of ringleader in this thing. Um, but he's mentally... No, no, no. He's the brother of okay, the mentally okay. disabled man. The um, Dylan is the uh, mentally disabled. And when I don't know the whole you know, details of that. Um, what I've heard stated by his family is that he, um, he can, he can read, Mm -hmm. but he can't do simple tasks. Like he can't tell time. He can't read a clock. Um, Mm. so he's working on, on a lower level, not probably not much lower than you and I, but, um, for yourself, there you go. Uh, but as far as Zach Adams goes, um, there was an interview with a man named Moss Miller. He is the cousin of Zachary Adams mm-hmm. and Dylan Adams. He says that uh, in this interview that Zach is a drug addict. He's addicted to meth. He says that Zach leached onto his grandfather. His grandfather uh, would give him money uh, and at times had paid to bail Zach out of jail. Right. I, I do know that this... Enabler. This, right. Well, I do know that this grandfather didn't think Zach was a saint because on record, uh, the grandfather had called 911 on his grandson three times. Mm-hmm. Now, Zach had a history of violence, um, and this is 
You know, there's some strange little stories within this big story here. This okay. is this is one of them. Um, I'm uncertain of the outcome of this, but Zach shot his own mother in the leg after trying to rob her. Oh. This this incident is a bit sketchy, Captain, because here's what I know. Was he wearing Crocs at the time? I don't know. Um, but this guy's a real dick nose. So we have this, like I said, it's a sketchy incident. So he's robbing his mother for drug money. Well, the, this is the way that, that I, you know, the story that I have. Uh, and, and I just kind of simplified it for us here because it was a lengthy story, but didn't need to be, um, I guess Zach was demanding money from his mother. He had a gun. I don't know if he was pointing it at her, but when he was demanding the money from his mother, his mother tried to slap the gun out of his hand. Good for her. So we're, we are left wondering a bit. Did the gun, you know, go off or did he intentionally shoot her? Either way, it's his fault. You well, the, here's the thing, though. In my opinion, and I'm sure others will share this as well, uh, this to me seems like an extremely addicted drug addict, you know, right. a violent drug addict. He and he also assaulted a uh, guard at a jail at one point when he was in jail. Yeah. And I feel for people that are addicted to drugs, but I mean, like I said, this guy's a dick nose. Well, so at this point in the case, the public and especially the media involved in this thing, they want to know why these guys were arrested and how could the police be certain that Holly is in fact dead. They've not found a body. Uh, there would be several prosecutors that would end up working this case. And the prosecutor who was actively working the case back in 2014, this is prosecutor Stowe. Uh, he said to the media that he wouldn't, wouldn't be able to go into the details about the evidence against the men charged with the killing. Um, listen to this answer. I like this answer because he's kind of cornered by these people at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, this is Stowe responding to questions from the media back in 2014. He says, I know folks have a lot of questions. I'm going to try to answer questions the best I can. I just ask that you bear in mind that there is nothing a prosecutor can say to a reporter that is going to help get a conviction. But there are about a million things that a prosecutor can say to a reporter that will thwart getting a conviction. Mm -hmm. Now, Stowe had also added in that same interview that the TBI has done a very, very thorough investigation into the disappearance of Holly Bobo and adding that the case file is about 300 times the size of a normal murder case file and that they are still receiving tips and information at that time. Right, so we have some suspects arrested. Mm -hmm. We still don't know where Holly is. Correct. So here's what we need to do, Captain. One of these days we need to, to develop True Crime Garage scorecards so people can keep track at home because some of these cases get a little tricky to keep up with. We have no body. We have plenty of people in custody. It seems like the jail is full at this point right. because we have Zachary Adams, who's been arrested and charged with murder. We have Jason Autry, his friend, who's been arrested and charged with murder. We have Zach's brother, Dylan, who gives this kind of vague uh, confession that he had seen his brother and heard his brother tell him things about Holly. Um, so it looks like w Dylan will probably be facing charges. We have these two Percy brothers where 
other than them saying that they had seen a video or possibly, you know, knowing about a video, they've never said that they've seen the video just to be clear here. Right. Um, but police believe that they have knowledge of this video and where it may be. I don't know how they work into the case other than that. Yeah. And possibly they were talking to somebody, you know, and then we have the one guy who is, he, he's got immunity in the case. Um, but they're also saying that they may charge him with something because he doesn't seem to be being completely honest with police. Yeah. And this Dick knows his name, Shane Austin, right? Yeah. So that same year, after all of these arrests, this takes place in 2014, Later that same year in September of 2014, mm-hmm. there's a man named Ernest uh, Stone. He goes by the name Larry. So Larry Stone, he is with his cousin, and they are out in the woods, and they are looking for ginseng plants. Uh, this is a wooded area in northern Decanter County, Tennessee. While out there, something caught his eye. It was a bucket, which was like oddly placed in the middle of the woods. Right. Stone said that something told him to turn around. So stone turned around and he saw what he believed to be a human skull. Shit. So he called his cousin over and he tells his cousin, please tell me that that's one of those things they use in school and it's not real. His cousin said he believed it was a real skull. So they called law enforcement. Um, Larry stone. He was so emotional that about this situation, he had to give the phone to his cousin uh, later, he told reporters that he just he just broke down. He couldn't even speak. Yeah. So police and forensic scientists from the TBI were sent in to investigate the area where the skull was found. And they found a lot of items near the skull. They found an uh, inhaler, a camera, keys with the letter H keychain on it, a chapstick, a small purse filled with writing utensils. Mm-hmm. There was a thumb drive in there as well and lipstick. Now, a larger purse was also found covered in leaves. It was almost buried in the ground. These items were all found near the human remains, near these bones. Uh, nearby other items were found at the top of a ditch. This included a ring, a hair tie, two earrings, two pink fibers, and a small lotion bottle and the sole of a flip-flop. There were also some teeth and rib bones that were found in this area as well. Now, three shell casings were found. So we have partial remains found here. Investigators recovered the skull, teeth, and several rib bones in one shoulder blade from this area. Regarding the remains, the cause of death was ruled a homicide very quickly because they were able to identify a hole on the right side of the skull as a gunshot wound. So a bullet hole in the back of, of the skull on the right side with the trajectory going left fracture, fracturing her left cheekbone when it exited. And the findings of this were particular, particular wound were consistent with a 32 caliber bullet. Um, they weren't certain that it was a 32 caliber bullet, but they're saying that it's consistent and they added that uh, nothing larger than a 36 caliber bu- bullet could have caused that actual hole. Now, a wallet was also found at the scene with Holly Bobo's driver's license inside. So, of course, we think we found our victim after all these years. Right. They'll do DNA testing, but it's most likely hers. Yeah, you're exactly right. They took uh, DNA from Karen, her mother, and her father, Darren, uh, Dana. 
and mm-hmm. Clint Bobo as well to run against the remains and evidence that was found to determine if it was a match to the rest of the Bobo's family uh, family DNA. The findings were consistent to that it would be a child of Karen and Dana as well as a sibling of Clint Bobo. In fact, um, they added that the, the results of the test conducted were two, I'm sorry, 21.8 billion times more likely that the remains found were the child of Karen and Dana Bobo and a sibling of Clint Bobo rather than just, you know, some random member of the population. Right now, the owner of the property, um, said that it was not uncommon for people to hunt there without permission. Uh, the woods where these items were found led to almost 2000 acres of inhabited hardwoods. Uh, the owner said that his family was perturbed by the news of the find, but but mostly perplexed by the nature of it and the timing, saying that I don't know what to think. They've searched back there so many times for Holly Bobo, and they are just finding this now. Yeah, that's a little odd. It's also a very sad day for the family. Mm-hmm. The owner added that the woods uh, his family owns were among those heavily searched for Holly when she first went missing back in April of 2011. Uh, the owner said that logging roads connected to Bible Hill road and other roads that led all the way South to where Holly lived on Swan on Swan Johnson road. So remember we said that they were looking North that backs up his statement that they had been there several times early in this investigation, but also giving a direct route to the victim's home. Yeah. Like I said, again, it's just a sad day for the family and sad day for the community as well. Yes, it is. And we have at this point, now that we've found the body, we've already had these suspects that have been rounded up and arrested and charged. Uh, We need to find out more about these people, what actually happened and what was their involvement, if any, in the Holly Bobo case. Again, thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. And thanks for joining us in the garage for another episode. And until tomorrow, be good, be kind, and don't litter. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.